This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds & Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Find out what Reynolds is up to in the digital retailing space by visiting reyrey.com slash retailanywhere. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash retailanywhere. Hello, and welcome to Daily Drive. It's Wednesday, March 9th, 2022. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. Electric vehicles are a growing part of the market, but they have a long road to becoming mainstream. We've got new numbers, and a little later in the show, a conversation about the bigger trends in EVs. First, let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Tesla has jumped to an early lead in the U.S. luxury vehicle race. According to new vehicle registration data from Experian, the electric vehicle maker overtook last year's segment winner, BMW, in January. Lexus is third, Mercedes-Benz is fourth. Tesla doesn't break out U.S. sales data, so that leaves registration data gathered state by state as the best metric for U.S. market share. It just takes a little while. Experience says that total U.S. EV registrations rose 62% in January. That pushed the EV share of the U.S. light vehicle market up to 4.3% in the month from 2.3% a year earlier. Tesla's registrations rose 49%, topping 37,000. General Motors CEO Mary Barra is confident the company will find adequate supply of nickel over the next three to five years. Nickel is a key metal for electric vehicle batteries, and prices have increased since Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The prices are also volatile. The London Metal Exchange suspended trading in its nickel market yesterday after an unprecedented jump in prices, as much as 250% in two days, briefly topping $100,000 a ton, according to Bloomberg. Barra told CNBC yesterday that the automaker is working deep into the supply chain to really understand the issues and make sure the company is covered. Elsewhere, Lexus regained the top spot among luxury brands in the industry's major dealership service satisfaction survey. Toyota's luxury brand bested Cadillac and Porsche in J.D. Power's U.S. Customer Service Index study, Porsche won last year. Among mass market brands, Mini narrowly beat Buick to retain the crown. Mazda was third. The study is in its 42nd year and was redesigned to include offerings such as valet service, remote servicing, and online payments. Nissa says the U.S. now has its first recall of an automated driving system. Pony AI agreed to issue a recall for some versions of its autonomous driving system software. The move follows an October accident in California, and the callback covers three testing vehicles. In the accident, a Pony AI vehicle that had been operating in autonomous mode hit a street sign on a median in Fremont, California. No one was injured. In personnel news, Mitsubishi is promoting Mark Chaffin to North American CEO. The 53-year-old has served as COO of the automaker's North American operations since 2018. Chaffin replaces Yuichi Yokozawa, who will return to Japan in a new management role. The moves are effective April 1st, when the new fiscal year begins. And that's the news you need to know. So if Tesla is the new leader in luxury sales, 
What does that mean for the rest of the industry? I put that question to Randy Miller, EY's Global Advanced Manufacturing and Mobility Leader, after this. As online experiences have continued to evolve, it's clear dealers need an approach that will keep them in the business for the long term. Chris Walsh, Casey Edwards, and Dave Bates, top Reynolds executives, sat down to discuss today's digital retailing landscape. Here's an excerpt from that roundtable discussion. So what are dealers trying to do to get this fully online and online to in-store experience? I mean, that's a great question. And honestly, it's, a, it's kind of a hard one to answer because retailers are kind of defining and using digital retailing differently. You know, to some dealers, it's selling a car. To other, it's sales and F&I. And they, they tend to be approaching it in chunks versus, you know, kind of a holistic, holistic approach. And then you end up just focusing on one or two things when you need to focus on, you know, more of a big picture. Digital retailing is dealership operations, period. Reynolds Retail Anywhere approach focuses on streamlining dealership operations and improving profitability. For more information about this big picture holistic approach, visit reyrey.com slash retail anywhere. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash retail anywhere. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters. As I prepare to head to Las Vegas for this year's NADA show, I know there's going to be a lot of talk about EVs, how much they cost, how many do Americans really want to buy, and how should they be sold. To level set expectations in advance of so many conversations, I brought in Randy Miller, the Global Advanced Manufacturing and Mobility Leader at EY. We talked about EV demand, the cost of supply, the luxury market, and the retail landscape. I reached him in Arizona. Randy Miller, welcome to Daily Drive. Thanks, Jamie. Glad to be here. So here at Automotive News, we track EV registrations through a partnership with Experian, and EVs rose from less than 2% of the market in 2020 to 3.1% in 2021. And uh, we'll be reporting soon that uh, in January, it rose to 4.1%. You know, and that's good growth. But it's a long way to 40% or 50% uh, as a lot of brands and uh, are talking about for mid-decade or for the end of the decade. Does EY project that EVs can reach 40 or 50% in the, of the U.S. market by 20, 2030? Well, I, I think uh, our point of view is, is optimistic on increased EV adoption, uh, but I'm not sure uh, it, it's all the way to that level. Uh, Jamie, as of yet, um, it, we've got uh, a model we call our, our lens forecaster uh, tool, and uh, it factors in um, a number of variables um, in the in the, the market. Uh, and uh, I think it's our view that um, EV sales will get to around 35 percent by 2030. Uh, significant uh, increase, uh, but uh, not all the way, uh, I think, to that 40, 50 percent uh, level uh, that you mentioned. Uh, but uh, we do think that curve uh, will continue uh, to get even steeper, um, given uh, uh, developments around the world, et cetera, that are, are going on uh, right now as well. Yeah, certainly a lot of, lot of new product uh, coming to the market. Cost um, is a big impediment. Uh, Stellantis CEO Carlos Tavares saying EVs cost 50% more to make than gas-burning vehicles. 
he says suppliers should help bear the cost, which is probably a nice opinion for him to have. Uh, but others seem to be counting more on federal subsidies or breakthroughs in battery technology. How do you, how does EY see the industry addressing the cost problem? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I think, and I'd like to say a, a little bit uh, to go into that, just one view on the consumer, because again, we've got a, an index uh, that shows uh, consumer behavior um, around uh, aptitude to buy an EV. And uh, in this survey, we're seeing over 50% of our respondents there in the U.S. intending to buy a car. So, again, good news. Uh, and the majority of them wanting to buy in 12 months. And I'm going to come back to that, that cost factor uh, in a moment. But I think that the consumer sentiment trend is, is one that's very, very important uh, to, to look at from that perspective. Uh, 28% of that group said they were looking to buy uh, an EV. So uh, again, the, uh, the, uh, the appetite uh, is there. Now, when you take a look at that, that cost uh, issue, we certainly see that uh, as uh, you know, one of the big driving uh, factors um, really shaping this. And again, back to that, that consumer study again, uh, we're seeing uh, that issue be on the minds of, of these potential buyers, almost 55% of those respondents uh, talk about cost. Hmm. And I think secondly, the, the, the rising awareness around uh, the total cost of ownership issue, I think is, is one that um, it needs to be uh, on the front uh, of the uh, analysis here in terms of uh, making sure uh, the consumers especially understand that total cost uh, of ownership uh, can be better uh, than ICE vehicles uh, and really being able to articulate that clearly um, from a consumer perspective is, uh, is paramount. I think secondly, to your point in terms of, of manufacturing costs, there's no doubt that that remains a, a big issue. We're seeing some movement though, uh, you know, coming down. Clearly battery costs uh, is extraordinarily significant and accounting for I think 35, 40% of the total. Uh, and we're seeing good movement uh, again, coming down uh, from a battery perspective. And, and we would also see uh, the need for um, vehicle manufacturers to, to do some additional collaboration and, and some additional sharing uh, around some of the elements of technology uh, to continue to help uh, with uh, uh, that cost issue. Uh, but certainly paramount um, in terms of uh, of adoption. How long? What do you? How do you look at total cost of ownership? Is it uh, how how long does it take for that extra cost to, you know, the the extra cost of the car up front in most cases, and uh, probably putting a charger in the home? How long does it take to save enough to uh, overcome those upfront costs? And I think, uh, it, you know, we've got a, a, a big variable, obviously, fuel costs uh, that uh, mm -hmm. uh, it is, uh, you know, continuing to, to move on an upward uh, trajectory. Uh, so that, uh, you know, factoring in uh, to the equation, certainly you've got uh, the upfront acquisition cost uh, potential, uh, you know, perhaps to tweak that a bit with some, some creative leases. Uh, but I think, it, you know, the, the payback is still, a, a, you know, a two or three year uh, type of a payback. Um, and you also have to factor in uh, some of the incentives, uh, again, that are out there that uh, I do think is, is an important element to this uh, as we look at kind of that full cost picture. Yeah, it's complicated and, and very individual, but uh, interesting, interesting thing to analyze. You talked about some of what uh, 
the companies need to do to make EVs more affordable. Is there, do you have any thoughts on what is an appropriate role for the government? Uh, the, the government sort of the one uh, trying to help us, uh, trying to lead the economies into uh, to stop global warming or slow global warming. Uh, do they need more incentives? Do they need you know disincentives for burning gasoline? They just should they just do the grid and charging infrastructure? What's what what kind of help is needed? And and does EY have any view on what's appropriate? Yeah, I think it's our point of view um, that uh, there needs to be a bit of a balance. I think incentives uh, are certainly uh, part of the equation uh, and important, especially in the short term here with uh, given the, uh, the cost differential uh, between EVs uh, on average and uh, in ICE vehicles. So I think some reasonable incentives um, are an important part uh, of, of the equation. I think secondly, uh, just general regulatory, um, I think it's our view we, we would uh, um, be in, in favor of, of just balanced regulatory um, and uh, uh, compliance uh, type of, of regulations out there uh, versus extraordinarily onerous ones. Uh, I think uh, that balance uh, would be uh, important. Uh, I think also, um, again, just incentivizing uh, around uh, the charging infrastructure is very important. And, you know, clearly that's still one of the big barriers. Um, I'll call it uh, probably second or third to uh, uh, the, the cost factor. I would, I would say that we still don't have uh, um, the right number of model uh, proliferation choices out there uh, that we should come back to here in a second. <laughs> Uh, but I, I think that uh, that that third aspect um, would be important from a, a government perspective as well. Yeah, definitely seeing more uh, more crossovers, and and soon we'll get a lot more uh, pickups. Well, maybe not that soon, but but pretty soon, uh, get a lot more pickups, and that'll be uh, interesting as we as Americans have the kinds of electric vehicles that they like to buy in vehicle as, as the body types. You mentioned the. Uh, onerous regulatory environment uh, possibilities. Are you talking about, you know, the governments where they're talking about banning ICE engines, internal combustion engines from being sold by some date drawn in the sand? I think uh, uh, some of those goals uh, in terms of, uh, of targets for that um, I think those are okay um, in terms of trying to set uh, a bar for movement. Uh, many of those are going to be very challenging um, to, to hit, especially when you look at the existing car park, um, you know, that are um, running through um, those city um, uh, and metro uh, locations. So a, a bit of a balance, I think, uh, uh, will, will need to be uh, anticipated there. Uh, I guess I was more, uh, you know, coming at, uh, just uh, fuel efficiency standards. And then also, um, you know, a lot of this model, um, you know, still can be uh, tied back to um, our, you know, shared connected autonomous green type models, uh, you know, as well. And, and, and just some, uh, I'll call it consistent standards uh, around that um, versus over the top standards, just to, to continue uh, to, to support advancements in those areas as well. Because we haven't necessarily talked a lot about, uh, you know, public transport uh, impact, uh, fleet uh, impact, etc. Uh, again, a, a number of those uh, need to be factored into the equation here as well. Okay. 
So uh, looking at the registration data, it appears that uh, you know Tesla was gaining fast on BMW last year for the US luxury sales lead. And now in January, uh, Tesla has taken the lead given their um, ma manufacturing capacity that's coming online. It kind of looks like they might uh, leave the others in the dust, at least uh, you know, for the foreseeable future. Does that, what does that, what does Tesla's rise tell us about electric vehicles in the luxury space? Is, is Tesla just kind of a one of a kind or is, is that the new definition of luxury? Well, I, I think uh, you know Tesla, obviously uh, being the uh, the first in and the market leader, um, I think does have an advantage, and they they continue to to, to move forward with uh, very aggressive product um, advancements uh, that help that. Uh, so I, I think it it it, it will be um, you know a great case example. Um, and to your point around, it, it's definitely much easier. Um, in terms of dealing uh, with some of the cost challenges uh, in the luxury um, or, or high performance segments uh, to, to be able to, to, to deal with uh, better margins um, mm -hmm. when you've got uh, that kind of uh, consumer uh, coming in. So mm -hmm. I don't think that's gonna be a, a, an atypical example. I think it's gonna be uh, more standard um, as we look forward. Great, great. So uh, Ford announced an interesting a strategic move last week, uh, separating its EV business from its uh, gasoline burning business, at least, you know, sort of in terms of the internal teams, uh, but also some in terms of the way they go to market. And, uh, you know, dealers are still trying to figure out what all it means. Ford hasn't really given a lot of details about the plan, uh, but it it more or less is like an agency model, is sort of my understanding. You know, they it's the dealer no longer would set the price, uh, but they would be guaranteed, you know, some a, a fee or some piece of the margin when vehicles get sold. And of course, the U.S. dealers with their franchise protections have fought hard to preserve the power to set the price. Uh, but agency, this sort of agency model has worked really. It seemed to work well in other countries, in other markets. It's certainly popular with uh, the automakers. Do you think a model like that can work in the U.S.? Well, I, I think this is a, a really interesting um, area to watch. Uh, number one, I think uh, the, the the restructuring um, that you mentioned uh, in, in terms of splitting the business is going to become uh, much more common uh, and, and one that I think will, um, you know, yield some some good operational benefits. Uh, uh, I will say in terms of the agency model, I, I think I'd like to look at it a bit of uh, in terms of, again, back to the to the overall customer experience. Mm. And so I think it can uh, work uh, in, in the and, uh, and can be beneficial to, to all parties, especially, um, you know, again, the consumers are looking for um, an improved experience, an educational experience, so that they can understand, especially, uh, you know, how to how, how to understand uh, how to how to best uh, use uh, EVs, how to best uh, get the most uh, out of your EV experience, and then also back to again transparency, you know, through the whole uh, experience. Um, 
again, consumers, uh, that whole negotiation process um, is one that uh, uh, is always uh, one of the worst uh, in terms of the view of the, of the consumer. So uh, helping with some transparency on that pricing, uh, I think, uh, uh, can be very impactful. Uh, and then I think it, it, it can, um, you know, work across uh, the, the dealer channels, especially, uh, I'll call it in the midterm, uh, given all the, uh, I'll call it volatility, inventory issues, uh, et cetera, that are going on out there. Randy Miller, EY's Global Advanced Manufacturing and Mobility Leader. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Jamie. Great to be here. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. You can get all the news on the EV market, the NADA show, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Thanks to Nathan Kadick for editing today's show. Thanks to the ANTV team and web editor Victor Galvan for their help. And thanks to you for listening and making this show part of your workday routine. Now, let's all get back to work.